would invite you to turn to Ephesians 4. Um, that's the passage that uh, Helena read for us, Ephesians 4. And the section she read is verses 1 through 16. And uh, that is kind of where I'll be focusing on this morning. But like I mentioned at the beginning of the service, God is faithful. First Corinthians, God is faithful. He's called you and I into fellowship with each other, but specifically with him. And someone was describing how they experienced that invitation, and I just have been reflecting on it this morning. What is that invitation like? When we say that God's welcomed you to be with him in life, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it feel like? And it feels like an invitation that really will change your life. It's an invitation that's open, that's warm, that's welcoming. Walking into that invitation is like stepping into a place with God, where you walk in, you feel free to sit, and immediately when you walk into the room, you feel like you belong. You go to the cupboard and you see a cup that already has your name on it. You go and find a seat, and it already looks like it's been worn in perfectly for you. And then if you look in the corner and there's a fire there, that's where maybe the warmth is coming from, but next to that fire is Jesus, and you lock eyes for the first time and you realize he's been watching you the whole way as you made your way in this room. And he looks at you and he says, come. That Jesus has been inviting us into this home, a life that is home with him. And I think that's something that I think is really important to realize. We've been reflecting in this idea of what we're called to be as a church. And you can see it on the back wall. You can see it on our website, becoming like Christ and sharing him with others. And part of that becoming like Christ and sharing him with others is experiencing home with him. It's knowing that we belong, that we're with him. And so last week we talked about that communion, that space of walking with Jesus, which is so crucial. But that walk with Jesus takes us into community with each other, which is why, which is why we're not just worshiping alone somewhere in a monastic community, but we're worshiping with each other, that God is with us, his body, living inside of our hearts and minds, causing us to speak and bear witness to each other through his spirit. That's one of the things I love about being worshiping in person that Bethel has always had in place is that you can hear the songs, you can hear people singing, you can hear everyone's out of pitchness, you can hear everyone's sort of whether they're singing softly or quietly or out of rhythm, you can hear it all. And that is our voice together. Becoming like Christ and sharing him with one another. So our second core commitment, and I have an image for it today, is community, loving the church. That communion leads us to loving the church. And specifically when I hear church, I hope you hear me say, love one another. Whoever God's put in front of you, Love one another, the people who are here with you, the people that are in the room with you wherever you're worshiping. Love one another. And it brings up obvious questions. It brings up, well, I, there's a lot of churches out there. A lot of different churches, a lot of different congregations, different denominations. What does that mean to love the church and love one another? What does this mean exactly? Well, Ephesians is, is a letter to a church that's being birthed. It's a church that's being called out for a specific purpose and reason, called out of darkness into light, called to not fearing, though they have much to fear. And God is always related to a called out community in that way, just as he relates to us. 
The Old Testament, it was Israel, a covenant community called out to be a specific people consecrated for the Lord. And then the New Testament, following Jesus' coming and his revelation, the good news he brings about his kingdom, he brings followers with him. He brings disciples with him that learn the way of Jesus and practice love with the Lord in a way that changes the world. And it's not just a specific people. It is all people, all nations, all cultures That has always been God's purpose, to bring everyone and unite them together as one community called out by God. So we're to participate in this community, which is how we participate in life with God. One of the things I experienced when I first came to Canada is that I went to be examined with a group of leaders in our denominations called the classes. And so I went to be examined, and this is Probably it was a pretty intense experience for me because I was asked a lot of questions about what I believed about God and Jesus. And the, uh, one of the questions, there's a pastor in this group. He, every time someone comes up for this examination, he asks this question. And the question he asks is connected to what is the church? What is the church supposed to be? And it is, can you experience salvation apart from the church? Can you be saved apart from the church? And he says, I've seen this trend going and going and going. Can that happen? Now, one of our core sort of tenets in, in, as a Christian Reformed denomination has its roots in a confession, an ancient confession, which when I read it, it's going to sound like the Apostles' Creed a little bit. But let me read it for you. It's called the Belgic Confession. I want to read this for us quickly. We believe and confess one single Catholic and universal church holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers, awaiting their salvation, their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you go a little further, it says, we believe that since this holy assembly and congregation, called out community, is gathered for those who are saved and there is, there is no salvation apart from it. So he asked the question because he knows this is in the document. People ought not to withdraw from it, content to be by themselves, regardless of their status or, or condition. But all people are obliged to join and unite with him, keeping the unity of the Spirit. All people are obliged to join and unite with him. Can someone be saved from apart from the church? That's not to say that you or I or anyone else can't ex- experience the miraculous The supernatural, a God encounter that no one can explain, that God reaches out and says, I am here. Because whether you've experienced that or not, and I've experienced it in my own way, but I know others have too. This is people, these are people's stories that God reaches out and touches people and draws them to himself, but also draws them to community. That God has directed us that through learning about his grace, we receive and embrace him specifically in relationships with each other. There is something about community that you actually can't fully learn and experience the gospel apart from being a part of his church. And that's the salvation I think that article is speaking to. One, coming into faith, but living into faith. You can't not truly live in faith if you're not willing to also embrace community and to also embrace the messiness of a community. That community is by far not easy but it is also part of Jesus' good news. So I believe that you are here for a reason. You may not be part of this church forever, but God has you here right now. 
God has you listening, that you are part of this church in this moment in time right now. And that he has a purpose for you in that, to listen to him, to experience his grace in a way that you will not other experience it anywhere else. Listening, watching, learning, feeling, and seeking God's presence. So my statement for this morning as we reflect in communion in Ephesians 4 is this, that we become like Christ by loving one another. We become like Christ by loving one another as a united and growing community. That part of the journey of becoming like Christ is loving one another as a committed, united, growing community. We cannot do it otherwise. That God has actually called his church to do that in the here and the now. I've already said a little bit about Ephesians 4, but one of the things I want you to know before I go into verse 1 here is this. That this is a transition point in the whole letter. The whole letter has been talking so much about God's grace, about his goodness, about the fact that God has done all these incredible things to bring about a community that would not otherwise exist. He's done this so that we could recognize that these are God's gifts to us. These are God's gifts to us. The very nature of these gifts, the fact that they are gifts means you can receive them or you can reject them. They're not forced upon you in any way. You can receive them or you can reject them. And so because of these gifts, and I'll list some of these gifts off, you can read in chapter 1 the fact that we are chosen for adoption and redemption. Chapter 2, that we are made alive in Christ, though we were dead in sin, and that Christ has become our peace. That at one point in time, we were divided and pitched against each other in hostility, but he has broken down that wall through being the peace that brought healing And so that we can be reconciled to the body, and we each all, you and me, whether you're at home, whether you're here, we can have equal access to the Spirit. So this is a shift. He's talked about this called-out community as a household, as a temple, as a body. And here, he emphasizes what I've already been saying, what language I've already been saying, that we are called Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul's in prison. <laughs> He's writing from really dire circumstances. But he urges them and he exhorts them and he says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The calling that you've received is the gifts that God has given you. Calling also comes together for the word that the Bible has for the church, the gathering, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Whether it's a congregation, whether you read it, it likely has its roots in the word called. That the church is called to faith. It's called to worship. It's called to the gospel. It's called. And if you know the call that you've received, he's asking you to respond to it. And the question is, how do you? I'm going to break this up into three sections, and I'm not going to talk about every single verse, just so you know. Um, We have the first section of the verse, which is the church which is called to live in unity with itself. The second section, which is talking about how these callings that Christ has given, he also cultivates the body with those callings. And then the last section is the result of that unity, the result of the growth and the journey. The church was called to live in unity, and I'll just read a few verses again here that Helena read for us, reading from verse 4 where it says that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope 
when you were called one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all, who was over all, through all, and in all. And then before he, those verses, he gives this exhortation, make every effort, make every effort to be one with the Spirit, to maintain unity. And I, even before knowing all that would be part of our worship this morning, that's weighty for me when I know how polarized we are as a society and culture and world. And he even now that is present in our church, that we are pulled apart and pulled apart for often the wrong reasons. And that when you read something like this charge to seek unity, to not grieve the Spirit, but to seek unity with the Spirit, one with the Spirit, creating a bond of peace, that that is a challenge to us in the actions we have done, but also what we have not done, what we have not said, how we have not been peacemakers in the moment when peace was desperately needed, how we have not demonstrated love when it was def- desperately needed to be spoken. Make every effort to be one in the Spirit. And you hear those verses, of one body, one Spirit, and it racks up seven features of unity. One body, Spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, and God the Father through all and in all. And when you hear all the one, it's meant for us to think back to Deuteronomy 6. And maybe that's not readily in your mind, and that's okay. But Deuteronomy 6 says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. That God is singularly moving through the world and expressing himself and revealing himself and drawing people together. And this is the kind of unity the church is called to, a unity around the one Lord and Savior, the one baptism, the one faith. And as you go through the world, you easily experience that there are actually other beliefs out there about how the world came into being or how we should respond to it. And even true, like I think about the beauty of Bethel and what drew me to serve this congregation was not that I thought everyone was the exact same, but I experienced uniqueness. I experienced diversity. I experienced special, unique stories down to the individual level, and I think this is the gospel right here. Not that we find a whole bunch of people that look like us and talk like us and act like us, but no, that we come together in all of our uniqueness to behold the glory of the one God who's called us as one body. Diversity can seem a diversity can unity can seem elusive, but it's not impossible. God doesn't call us to uniformity that we all look the exact same, but he calls us to purpose and belonging in him. In 1 Corinthians 12, I have a few verses. They're not going to be up here, unfortunately. But he's talking about this analogy of the body. The body. All the different parts. If you, if you know 1 Corinthians, it'll sound familiar. But he's talking about the analogy of the body to describe the church. He says, just as a body, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. It is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many parts, many different parts. It's so that what it also talks about after that in that chapter is the I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. We actually need each other as part of the church. We don't live into our calling of the church if we're not all involved and engaged in this calling. The foot can't say, since I'm, since I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. That's not how God's calling works. 
that living this calling develops unity within us and with others. And you have to notice along the way that there can be competing priorities, competing priorities for things that want your life, that want your attention. But the life of the unity with the Spirit is one in which all things work together for good for those who love God and are called by him. The example of this that I read this week that I thought was really helpful for me was Eugene Peterson is a wonderful author and pastor, uh, late pastor. And he talks about going on a sabbatical after 30 years of marriage. 30 years of marriage, but also ministry. I think his marriage and ministry kind of lined up with itself. And he gets away. He is in a different place. He says he's walking in Pittsburgh with his wife, Jan. And he's just walking down the street. And the way he describes it is they are having this meditative time of prayer and reflection on their life. And they're just walking together. And then all of a sudden, a biker goes right by him and stops immediately. He sees them walk, and he stops. And he waits for them to catch up with them as they're walking. And he says to them, I've been married five years. How long have you been married? 30 is what they tell him. 30 years. And he, he, he immediately responds, I figured. I figured. I, I could see that. You walk perfectly synchronized with each other. Perfectly synchronized. Perfectly. He could see them. And, it's like, I, I, and he says, I don't know if he, he's, he overthinks his walking with his wife. I don't know. I'm not recommending anyone do that. Um, but he sees this and he thinks, I've been walking for five years and I'm either a little ahead or I'm a little behind. I can't quite figure it out. And then he walks away. And then immediately, Eugene and Jan can't walk next to each other because they're thinking about it too much. <laughs> and there's probably some wisdom in that. I mean, on one level, it is that this is about a long journey of formation, of walking together and realizing how we actually can be in step with the Spirit and with each other. But it's not about overthinking it, but it's about knowing exactly what God is doing in your heart and just trusting that and stepping into it. And really, if you try too hard, if you try to make something work, you might miss the wisdom of whether it should or not. Like that, they walk seamlessly. And I thought that was a beautiful way to, to just imagine and remember what unity looks like and what we're called to. A walking together, not that it doesn't take effort, but walking together knowing that God's called us and is with us and is using us in this moment. And we can trust him with that. The next section of this passage in Ephesians, I would pick up from verse 7, but really I'll focus on 11. And I think it's talking about how all these things, this reality and this calling that you and I have, they're gifts. It's gifts to actually be in people's lives with each other. It's gifts to actually step in and rub elbows with each other and hear each other's stories. And God's given us a specific work in that. Verse 11, he says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And he already says the purpose or function of those callings and gifts. The most beautiful parts of you, I believe God created. The most beautiful parts of you, I believe God created. And he put them and arranged them as part of your life so that they could build up the church. However you see your calling is, and I'll reflect on this more as the month goes by, however you see that calling is, I believe that is something that can be confirmed and clarified in community. 
but it's also something that comes from God and it has a purpose. And it's not just the purpose so you can go home and, and, and arrange your life to be the best possible version of your life you want it to be. To arrange your marriage and make it the best possible marriage you want it to be. You could say the same about your work. You could say the same thing about your family or your friendships. That's not the goal. The goal is to build up the church, to be part of sharing, clarifying, and proclaiming the unity of the Spirit and the witness that he's asked us to do together. So the function of these things is to clarify what our callings are and that they are to build up the church. And that what he says next in verse 13 is what I would certainly hope you go home and reflect on this week. Because it's not just how he's called you, but it's where this is all going. And it is unity that comes from faith and knowledge specifically about Jesus. Unity that comes from faith and knowledge about Jesus. Reading from verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What this is speaking to is that journey of of a couple who's been together for 30 plus years. It speaks to this journey where there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to learn lessons faster than you would like to. Part of it is committing to this same direction, to the same vision, the one body, the one spirit, the one faith, the one Lord, the one baptism. And Eugene Peterson has this quote reflecting exactly on this verse. He says this. That becoming mature means refusing to live a reduced life. Refusing a minimalist spirituality. Church is the gift we have been given for maintaining conversational relationships with everything that God is and everything that we are. So that we can gradually come to live to the praise of his glory. So that we can finally, and it is going to take a long time, grow to the full stature of Christ. What the few, last few verses of this section talk about is the result of that unity. If you can commit to that journey, if you can step in trusting the Spirit, becoming more like Jesus and walking and relating to each other more like Jesus, you not only find this experience of loving each other beyond all circumstances, but you grow. And I, right before I go reflect on the next few verses, that I would say when I really took a look at my faith in my 20s, I, I asked a lot of questions about what kind of church I wanted to be part of. I asked a lot of questions about what I wanted to do with my life. Like I wanted clarity. What am I committing my life to? Because I've already invested a lot of time in this direction to serve the church. Is the church what God actually wants me to serve. And where I found that calling confirmed and clarified was not just through reading a book on my own, but actually getting into the messiness of community. I stopped going to different churches like I wanted to. I would check out this church and say, wow, this is amazing. And I'd go to this church and wow, this is amazing. Instead, I committed to a very humble church, a church plant. And I invested my time into what are the, what's the grunt work needed here and how could I be part of bringing that into fruition? Whether it was you know, setting up and tearing down, setting up chairs, learning how to do some of the technology that helps us worship the way that we do, all these things. I committed to that work and One, I learned just through not being in the spotlight that God is moving and speaking. 
that God moves mysteriously and brings oneness in ways that you and I just don't, we can't really grasp our mind around. But the other thing that I learned, and this was probably one of the more healing things for me, was learning how to true, honestly and truly be present in relationships. The relationships were not things I needed to hide from, but the relationships were actually gifts. That God had given me the gift to be in relationship with someone and that he had invited me to truly be myself, to not be this false version of myself I wanted to put out there because I thought this would serve me in the story I wanted to tell in my life. Instead, he said, can you actually truly be yourself? Can you actually truly share your feelings? Can you truly share your wounds, your burdens? Not that you do that with everyone, but that you do it with the people I put in front of you, the people that you can trust, the people that you know can trust you. And doing that in a small church allowed me to see the gospel come alive and to see what this unity is. And that's the result of growing together because that's growth. If you're wondering what growth is, yes, maybe part of it is knowing more of what's in this book, but it's also about how you live, how you practice the way of Jesus, how you love and you, when you've seen someone truly love like Jesus, whether you've experienced that, maybe you've witnessed this, you see someone love like Jesus, you see this, this is the good news. You see this happening and you can't unsee it. If I ever had to go back to a definition, I would go back to this moment of how that love came out of that person for this other person or people. That that is what we're called to as a church. The result of unity is not necessarily getting all the people who've got it figured out in town, but the analogy that's probably better is that this is a hospital of broken people, of sick people, of hurting people, and that we come here week after week just because this is our rhythm. God's given us this rhythm. Not to put on a front of how good we've got things figured out, but instead to seek healing, mercy, and hope, and to confess that we are not enough, but that Christ is that Christ brings understanding to everything out in this world that is so disrupted, that is so confused. He brings understanding and clarity and peace to relationships close or far to us that we're hurting inside because this is not working the way it should. And his love enters into those moments into our hearts and says, yes, I can bring you forward. Yes, you can step with me in the spirit. You can seek oneness and I will bear fruit in your life week after week, after season after season, but you must continue in this direction until you attain the full stature of Christ. That is the result of this journey with Christ. And I, you know, reality is, is we're all in different places of that journey. I don't want, when I use this analogy, I don't want you to think of all the families represented here, but just think about the fact that some of us are children of the faith, we are in our very infancy. We are just trying to get the basics of what Christ is about in life. Some of us have been Christians walking with Jesus for a long time, and we're trying to take on new lessons, tackle new battles, carry new burdens. So some of us are babies with diapers. Some of us are toddlers with diapers. Some of us are teens that are rebelling a little bit. Some of us are the young married couple who's taking on new lessons, new responsibilities, a new role for a new season. That is the spiritual walk. Trusting and growing together as this time, as, as God's timing allows us to. And so when, I, when you hear community loving one another, community loving the church, 
I would love for you to hear exactly what I mean by that. And that is that we thrive together and celebrate when each of us is doing well. And we suffer and we hurt when one of us is not doing well and hurting. That we celebrate the uniqueness of each other. Because it is God's gift. It is how God has shined through each person here and at home, that God is shining through you, through who you uniquely are. Not because you need to be like the other person that you admire, but that he is doing a specific story in your life. And he can tell something in your story that he, can, he, will t- he chooses to not tell through anyone else. You might be wondering how to apply this. Like the last few verses of this section talk about how we apply this, I think. So I'm going to read them all together now, and then say a little bit. Reading from verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. In speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Unity with one another comes out of alignment with God's will. We can't do that apart from being aligned with God's will. And that God actually wants us to be in church, in community with people who don't look like us, that don't laugh like us, that don't dance like us, that don't talk like us, that don't eat the same food of us. And this is not a cultural thing. It's the unique thing in your life. That God wants us to be in a community that is drawing together all nations, all people, all personalities, drawing them together because it reinforces the truth that the kingdom is not about just you or just another person. The kingdom is about Christ. When you're with other people, you start to realize mysteriously, I can actually be in the same community, part of the same spiritual family, not because we have all the things we have in common or the things we find in common along the way, but because Jesus is with us. That Jesus actually died for us. And that's why we can be in community. It means we don't buckle or get knocked down when we get thrown at a different teaching or a different challenge because we stand together. It brings a steadfastness to our lives. It brings maturity, growing. You don't just stay where you are. You can continue growing, learning new lessons, taking on new challenges. Not because you have to just tough it out, but because God's love is pouring into your life, giving you the capacity to do things you never thought you would do. It also gives you greater compassion when you live closely in relationships with other people. When you actually commit to listen to each other, it widens your compassion. That you see where people are coming from, you see the wounds that they're carrying. And you know, I can actually handle a lot more. It's less, 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 and less and less about how I feel or what I want to happen in this present moment. It's about what God's doing in the world and in this person's life. That the result of unity with the Spirit is steadfastness, growing, maturity. It is also compassion. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, us, come and lead us in worship in response to this. I mentioned the Belgic Confession. I don't know if anyone, you know, unlikely some of you had heard of it, but it's not something we often quote. But one of the things in those two articles I read, right after it, it talks about the true marks of the church. How do you actually know what is the church that God has called out to be? 
And I would just reflect on a few things. It's not a quote, just, just some observations. That the true church, people truly following Jesus are people who preach the gospel. They honor God by sharing of the sacraments, these special moments where heaven and God touch down in baptism, in communion. They hold one another accountable. They lead and guide others through the pure word of God that leads us, directs us, it gives us wisdom, and they keep Jesus at the head at all times. Now, for those who walk in it, we embrace those things more and practice those things more and more and more so that God's love truly shines in us. But it is a little bit about dying to yourself and saying yes to a community that God's called you to be a part of. To not just take it as an easy direction, but to actually step in and say, yes, I believe that you are working in my heart. And I, uh, you know, just wrestling and holding the news with you of just someone dear to us who's not with us, it's also worth celebrating um, Betty and also her husband Hans in the sense of how they have brought people together in community. (laughs) They've always had such a huge heart for people and dug in deep when it was hard. And I think about them and learning their stories, and I know how much they deeply love and care about the people God's put in their way. It is a witness to what Jesus would have us do. That whoever God has placed in front of you, he's called you to. So love them. Seek unity together about the right things. And don't let the wrong things get in the way. So please pray with me. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and really a call to community, a community shaped by Jesus, shaped by the ways of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, is a community that is willing to die to itself. It is not about a legacy. It is not about our own self-glory. It is so that people can see and behold and receive and embrace Jesus more and more. And we deal honestly with where we are. But we ask, come Holy Spirit, take us further and deeper. Let us not shy away from these callings, but step into them in faith. And it means something different for every one of us. Every hand, foot, eye, toe, heart, tongue. But Lord, you make us one. And it's because you are the head of us. You draw us near you, unite us together. We embrace how you've uniquely made us. But we also say it's not about us, it's about you. So Lord, please help us and guide us in this time, this morning, and to take it into our lives and our families and our works, embracing the fact that we are one body, one church, one faith, and one Lord. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.